Let's pray. Oh God, wow, what can we say? Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Nothing like cutting to the chase at the opening moment of this brand new year. We hear what you have already said. And our hearts have been in communion with you, many hearts here. Now, dear God, speak back. Let Holy Scripture come alive in this moment. May we hear the voice of Christ on this day that shall begin a new journey, surely for us all. In His name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you, what, what is there about faith that is so elusive? At one moment you are sure you have it in your hands, the next moment it, it evaporates like the scurrying mist before the rising sun. What's so elusive about faith? Emily Dickinson once wrote, We both believe and disbelieve a hundred times an hour, which keeps believing nimble. To which we might add, it also keeps believing exhausted. Please, a hundred times an hour. Believe, unbelief, belief, unbelief. What is so elusive about faith? Philip Yancey in his provocative recent book, Reaching for the Invisible God. And I must tell you, a book that has come to me by the kindness of a dear friend with whom I happen to share the same birthday. And she gave the book late spring. And oh, it has really been grist for the summer journey, and I'm so grateful. Philip Yancey observes, and I'll put his words on the screen for you, everyone dangles on a pendulum that swings from belief to unbelief, back to belief, and ends where? Let's take a look at that pendulum on the screen. Where are you right now? In this business of the pendulum, where has your pendulum stopped today? Are you on the belief end? Are you on the unbelief end? Are you somewhere in the middle? Are you coming down? Are you going up? What is so elusive? What is it about faith that is so elusive? Bertrand Russell, once the world's most famous atheist, he was asked by a woman one day, what would happen, Mr. Russell, if you found out you were wrong and you ended up at the pearly gates? Russell's eyes lighted up and he spoke in his characteristic high, thin voice. Why, I should say, God, you gave us insufficient evidence. Has God given you insufficient evidence? Do you have enough evidence to believe? Where are you in this swinging pendulum between belief and unbelief? Yancey comments, Some never find faith, while others have faith and then lose it. You may be in that category, I don't know. And then he tells about Peter de Vries. Peter DeVries, who was reared in a strict Calvinist home, not unlike, I have a feeling, a strict Adventist home. Peter DeVries, who went to the school to the north of us, up here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, what is it, Calvin College for his undergraduate education. Peter DeVries, who went on to write savagely comic novels about the loss of faith. In fact, in one of his novels, DeVries' character, get this, 
could not forgive God for not existing. You have to think about that for a while. I'm so mad at you because you don't exist. I won't forgive you. Comic savage. He wrestles with unbelief in his own life. In his God-obsessed novel, The Blood of the Lamb, DeVries tells of Don Vanderhope. I suppose the name is symbolic, Vanderhope. He tells of Don Vanderhope, father of an 11-year-old girl who contracts leukemia. Just as the bone marrow begins to respond to the treatment and she is approaching remission, an infection sweeps through the ward and she is dead. Vanderhope, who has brought in a cake with his daughter's name on it, learns that she has died, leaves the hospital, returns to the church where he prayed for her healing, and then hurls the cake at the crucifix in the front of that church. The cake hits just beneath the crown of thorns, and brightly colored icing drips down Jesus' dejected stone face. Some never find faith, others find faith and then lose it. Yancey is absolutely right. What is it that is so elusive about this thing called faith? Hey, look, I know. I know we have spent the last two Sabbaths on these sacred precincts contemplating and commending something called raw faith. And our hearts, I must admit, have been stirred up. You know, last Sabbath, the stories we shared were so stirring. And so inspiring that the audience twice broke into spontaneous applause before the last story was even finished. I can promise you that wasn't first church, that was second church. (laughs) Even the student movement this week, I'm reading the new issue. Good job, folks. You're off to a good start. The student movement this week raises its skeptical eyebrows and reports on the audience response last Sabbath in this church. Oh, we love raw faith stories. I believe in raw faith. I thrill at stories, but I am afraid that my pendulum too often swings to the hometown of Jesus. Hometown blues. Open your Bible, please. To the haunting parallel passage to what will become the theme text For our New Year journey, a series called When the Messiah is Your Mentor. But we're going to postpone it. We're not going to go. We're not going to go to Luke 4 today. Let's go to that haunting parallel. It's Mark chapter 6. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of St. Mark chapter 6. And I'll be preaching and you'll be reading if you're on the screen. And those of you on television, you'll see these words on the screen. It's the New Living Translation. I've become... I've become a bit uh, enamored by this fresh new translation. And so, for a while, you and I will be within this translation together. This is Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left that part of the country. That's up to the north. That's, that's Capernaum. Now, he's coming south. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. Now, I want you to get the picture here, ladies and gentlemen. The hometown boy is coming home. You see, he hasn't been around this village for months. Everybody remembers the day when he quietly closed the shutters of his stepfather Joseph's dusty carpenter shop for the last time. And the boy, the boy just disappeared. Not even his mother Mary knows for sure where he's gone. Rumors later have hummed 
behind the old biddy's gossip in the village that he has wandered southward along the Jordan River and has found some swollen little eddy beside the river. And there, with a, a wild and crazy young prophet named John... John, who is thundering out of the wilderness, calling people who have the courage and the gumption to repent of their sins and be baptized, according to the rumors that have come to town, apparently Jesus Himself stepped forward and was baptized. Who can explain what has happened to our boy, they're asking. And then, it has not been corroborated, but word is that when he came up out of those, sw those swollen, muddy waters, that the brassy blue heavens overhead are shattered and some voice thunders about, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> but how can that be? He is the beloved Son of Nazareth. So what's happened to this boy? What's going on? They're unsubstantiated, you understand, but they are rumors that sometime soon later, he disappeared into that wilderness that swallowed him up for 40 days and 40 nights, and who knows what, who knows where, but he was there maybe to be like St. Moses and get lost on a mountaintop for 40 days. All the rumor knows is that when he came back out and suddenly reappeared, this time there is a band of young men that he is mentoring. He is mentoring young men to be his disciples. And now, now they come fast and furious, galloping into town, the wild rumors. You're not going to believe this. Rumors about water becoming wine and the blind becoming sighted and the lepers becoming cleansed and the demoniacs becoming freed. And just yesterday, I tell you the truth, just yesterday, like hot electricity, the word came down from Capernaum that yesterday he raised up. I don't know, maybe she died of leukemia. Twelve years old, he raised up a dead little girl back to life. Now, folks, that's the whole, that, that, that's all that is now swirling. Let's read it again, verse 1. To set up this moment, Mark 6, 1, Jesus left that part of the country coming down from Capernaum and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. Well, it's about time, boy, where you been? All right, let's find out. Verse 2, and the next Sabbath, and by the way, you can be sure, the entire village shows up next Sabbath. And the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? He's just the carpenter's the son of Mary and, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. Hey, and his sisters live right here among us. And they, get this, can you believe this? They were deeply offended and refused. They refused to believe in him. Ladies and gentlemen, mark it down. There, are, you, there is the ability of the human mind to make a conscious decision not to believe. I, I refuse to believe. They made a decision. Why, why, why did they make the decision? I'll tell you why. Because that's the way jealousy works. That's the way envy works. Thomas, when he's not there, when Jesus shows up, is so jealous 
that Jesus would show up when he's not there. Sometimes I, re- I, I refuse to believe. Sometimes, you know, that happens with us. Our peers get a, get a promotion or, or uh, our colleague does something that is recognized all around. And we, a little bit of envy comes in. I, I don't believe it's that great. I'm telling you, I don't think it's really that great myself. Probably brought it from me. There's something about jealousy and pride and uh, jealousy envy, which is, of course, wounded pride. I mean, come on, why didn't you come to us first before gallivanting all over creation with your little sideshow of miracles and signs and wonders? Boy, you're no different than us. You're just one of us. Ah, poor Jesus. Verse 4, Jesus says, Jesus says, please. Verse 4, that Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, this is what it is. A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. There's no honor. There's no honor. You're just the kid next door. We saw you grow up. And you know what, folks? Familiarity. This is the line, isn't it? Familiarity breeds. What does it breed? Familiarity breeds content. And do you know what content breeds? Content breeds unbelief. Be careful. It can even happen. Where you live, contempt breeds unbelief. Verse 5, and isn't this sad? And because of their unbelief, He couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place His hands on a few sick people and heal them. Apparently, God bless them, there were a few brave souls who said, I don't care what it means to be politically correct. I desperately need you, Jesus. Touch me, touch me. And a few braved the poo-pooing of political uncorrectness, and they believed. It's hard to believe when you're in a large setting where the emphasis rewards skepticism and unbelief. You've got to buck the crowd. You've got to swim upstream and say, Jesus, please, I can't answer for the rest, but would you touch me, please? A few. And then the sat, one of the saddest lines in all the Scriptures, verse 6, And Jesus was amazed. Can you believe this? And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. <clears throat> the closest people on earth to Him. I mean, of any community on earth that ought to be right up front in believing, this is the closest on earth, and they don't believe. I mean, what do you think is going on in Jesus' heart? How do you think Jesus feels? Do you think it's a picnic for him? These are the closest he has ever known. They don't believe. Just the carpenter's son, that's all you are. Hometown blues. What is there about faith? Ladies and gentlemen, I ask the question again. What is there about faith that is so elusive? And, and, and may I ask this? What if we were Jesus' hometown? What if Jesus came home here? I wonder what he would find. Or as Jesus put it in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, put it on the screen here, when the Son of Man comes at the end of time, will he find faith? Will he? Will he find faith in his hometown? Will he find faith? Raw faith. You heard about it this morning. Anne and Jose's story. Raw faith. You've heard about it for two Sabbaths if you've been around that long. Raw faith. Raw faith. When the Son of Man comes, 
Will He find it on earth? You know what? Raw faith sounds good in the stories of others, but where is it in the story of us? Huh? Raw faith. Could it be? I'm just thinking out loud with you. Help me out here now. Could it be? Could it be that the reason our faith is so small is because our God is too small? How big is your God? J.B. Phillips, a long time ago, English author. Your God is too small, wrote a book. I want to tell you about another book. Just a week ago last night, Friday night a week ago, I was reading. The kind of reading I like to do on Friday evenings. When you don't read for your sermon, you read for your soul. That's the best kind of reading to do on Friday nights. And so I pulled out a book that I have read three or four times before, maybe even five. It's written by a Kiwi. Now, we have some Kiwis here, those of you who are from the great nation of New Zealand. He's a Kiwi who felt the call of God to go to the mission field, the mission field of the United States. Good for him. And so he came to this country to be a missionary to us. He's become the director of Youth with a Mission in Los Angeles. His name is John Dawson. And the book, Taking Our Cities for God, is a mar- for me, I, I, for me, the book has become a Bible. A Bible of militant strategic praying. That, that, that kind of a, a source book, resource book. Subtitle, How to Break Spiritual Strongholds. So I'm reading this the other night. I want to just share a few lines with you. When my friend Floyd, John Dawson speaking here, when my friend Floyd finished preaching and called for repentance, I was the first to my feet. During the message, I had seen myself clearly and I was ashamed. I publicly confessed my sin that day and asked the others at the conference for prayer. What was my sin? Embezzlement? Adultery? No. The Holy Spirit was convicting me of the sin of unbelief. In that stark moment of honesty, I realized that I really had low expectations of what God would do in my city. You ever wonder what God would do on your campus? What do you expect? Now, he goes on. What do you expect God to do in your city? Read campus. Or to put it another way, who is your God? Is he the God of the Bible? Now, here's the line. Your God is only as big as what you expect of him in space and time. Let's put that on the screen. That, that sentence is, uh, is ponderable. Your God is only as big as what you expect of him in space and time. So may I ask you, what is it you expect of God in your space? Where's your space? Lampson Hall? Where's your space? Meyer? Berman? Where are you out in the apartments? Beechwood? Where, where are you? Out in Faculty Row? Oh, I tell you, they're getting some nice rows now. Where, where is your space? Where is your time? Is your God limited by your time and space? Now, let's put that line up again. Your God is only as big as what you expect of Him in space and time. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the sin of Nazareth, was it not? They got from Jesus exactly what they expected from Jesus. Nothing. Nada. In both Spanish and Portuguese. Nada. That's the Brazilian group right over here. That's where they always sit. I like to preach to the choir once in a while. See? Nada. They got out of Jesus exactly what they expected from Jesus. Nothing. They got nothing. Wouldn't it be sad that the reason we too get nothing is because we too expect nothing. Our God's too small. 
We don't ask for planet-sized prayers anymore. We don't ask for God-sized answers. Just give me something that, it's a, that, that will be accommodated by my intellect, please. My IQ says, God, you're right here. I got you in my hand now where I need you. Your God is too small. James chapter 4, verse 2, he's absolutely right. You have not because you ask not. We, we haven't been asking God-sized prayers. We haven't been asking planet-sized answers. So we get what we ask. Nothing. What is the problem? And he was amazed. Oh, that line, that just, that is something, isn't it? And he was amazed at their unbelief. They could have had it. Capernaum did. They could have had it. Barian could have it. Yeah. Well, let me put Dawson's words up here just one more time. What do you expect God to do in your city? Or to put it another way, who is your God? Is He the God of the Bible? Read on. Your God is only as big as what you expect of Him in space and time. What do you expect Him to do here on earth in this generation? Don't tell me about the God of your theology. Come on, Dwight. Don't give me this business of this is how our theology works. Don't tell me about the God of your theology. Tell me instead about your God. It's, it's easy to say that He's all-powerful, but do you expect Him to do powerful things here and now? The God of the Bible is the God who sweeps in like a mighty rushing wind. He answers by fire. He is the God of great awakenings and generation-wide revivals. You say, oh, come on, Dwight. He's the God of the still, small voice. Well, you know what? You're absolutely right. But every time God ignites a generation-wide revival, He starts it. He sets it ablaze with a still, small voice. Somebody's listening, and that's what sets the fire raging. So how big is your God? How big is our God at Andrews University? For a hundred years, this institution has occupied this plot of terra firma. Thousands and thousands of students and faculty and administrators and pastors have come and gone. And you know what, folks? This is true. It is true that 100 years ago in 1901, there was a deep, numinous conviction that human civilization was escalating towards its judgment hour. And in just a few years, the war that was supposed to end all wars only corroborated that campus conviction. It is also true. This is true. That back then, people did wonder whether they would ever grow old and die with the return of Jesus so imminent so soon. But sure enough, you know what? You're right. They all died, all of them, who were the first classes and the first faculty of this new college in 1901. However, and this is a huge however, does the fact that they did die and the reality that time has gone on diminish the fiery hope and raw faith to believe that even now this generation might yet inherit their century-old passion and their centennial mission. That is, does somehow, does the passing of a hundred years subtract our hope and diminish our faith in the soon coming of Jesus Christ? Does it? Does it? When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? 
Apparently, Jesus expects to find the earth very much like his own hometown on the day he comes riding back. Apparently, hometowners can be satisfied with being bereft of faith. Expecting nothing, they get nothing. And he was amazed. How does it read? And he was amazed at their unbelief. For when the Son of Man comes, follow-up question, will He find faith on this earth? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for raw faith. We We need a raw faith generation now more than we have ever needed it before. A raw faith generation that believes... A raw faith generation that believes. A hundred years of students and faculty and pastors, they've all been buried. And I don't want to be misunderstood. And I certainly don't want to rain on the parade or poop on the party or whatever. But there is no point And Andrew's simply checking off its centennials. We have not been raised up to accumulate consecutive centennials. We were raised up to raise up a spiritually dying generation and heal a broken planet for Jesus Christ to come. I know we've been here a hundred years. And I know they thought it was going to be soon back then. Maybe, just maybe, there can yet be a raw faith generation that seizes this moment and says, we believe all over again. We believe. Because you know what? Jesus is going to say, according to your faith, be it unto you. Don't believe? Okay. Don't get? Believe? Raw faith. We need a raw faith generation who believes. And I believe you're it. I'm talking to the student body of Andrews University. Those of you who are here, you are it. You are. Say, oh, do I, how, do I, how do I get this raw faith? How can I have it? I want to end with a story that will tell you exactly how to have it. It's a story about demons and learning how to believe. Let's end with this story, alright? Same book, chapter 9, just three chapters later. Go to Mark chapter 9. You want to know how to be set free from the demons that possess you? Oh, Dwight, what are you talking about? Demons? Now you know what I mean. I'm talking about those vice-like grips that cling to our hearts that we can't shake. I'm talking about... The pendulum, when my pendulum swings to doubt and that doubt clings to me like some sort of clamp. And then the pendulum swings down and it wants to stop. It's too heavy to go back up to belief again. That's what I'm talking about. How can I believe? How can I have raw faith? All right, one last story, then we'll go home. Mark chapter 9. Pick it up in verse 14. The Mount of Transfiguration is over. Jesus' face is aglow. You know, when you're alone with God, apparently, eventually, people can tell it. Moses comes down from his 40 days and 40 nights and says, that boy has been with the divine. 
Women, men, faces lighted up. Apparently it shows, and so it's showing now, as you'll tell from the narrative, verse 14, and at the foot of the mountain, after the transfiguration, down in the valley, they found a great crowd surrounding the other disciples as some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. I'm a teacher, and sometimes it's so easy to just argue and argue. I want to tell you why raw faith does not work. I want to tell you. You know what? Let's argue on the upside of raw faith, not the downside. Well, they're arguing, these teachers of religious law. And so the crowd, they see Jesus coming, verse 15. And the crowd watched Jesus in awe as he came toward them. And then they ran to greet him. They don't say a word. And Jesus speaks. What is all this arguing about? He asks in verse 16. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, teacher, I brought my son for you to heal him. He can't speak because he's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this evil spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground and makes him foam at the mouth and grind his teeth and become rigid. So I asked your disciples whom you are mentoring. I asked your mentorees. I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, by the way, plural, all of them, you faithless people. How long must I be with you until you believe? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought the boy, but when the evil, oh boy, he knows now he's met the commander of the universe in human flesh, when the evil spirit saw Jesus. You know what? That's a great vision for the spirits we struggle with, the habits we struggle with, the guilt patterns we wrestle with. That's a good vision for those patterns and habits and spirits to see. Just let them see Jesus. You say, well, Dwight, how are they going to see Jesus? Well, you better be around Jesus when they come to you. If you're around Jesus when they come to you, they'll see Him. Don't worry. I promise you, they will see Jesus. He isn't exactly someone who hides in a thimble anymore. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, the evil spirit, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground writhing and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus, just like a dispassionate doctor, you know, these doctors, how do they do that? They just keep their cool and Jesus keeps his cool. He says, excuse me just a minute, don't ignore that here. How long has this been going on? Isn't that what doctors ask you? You come in, how long have you been suffering from this? Well, doc, it just really doesn't matter. Let's just get to the solution. No, Jesus says, I want to know how long has this boy been suffering, please? Tell me. He's writhing, Jesus says, tell me the answer. And so the father speaks in verse 21. And he replied, since he was very small, the evil spirit often makes him fall into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Oh, have mercy on us and help us do something if you can. And Jesus hears those last three words, if you can, Jesus Verse 23, what do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Ladies and gentlemen, write it down. You have just encountered the shortest definition of raw faith in the entire Scripture. Anything is possible if only you believe. Anything. No qualification to say, oh, by the way, I really don't mean anything. I just meant some things, but anything kind of came out. I'm sorry. I can't get it back because they've already printed the Gospels. I'm very apologetic about this. I didn't mean anything. Why didn't I stop this before it went to press? No. He meant anything. 
Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father, the father is instantly convicted. The father instantly replies, I do believe, but help me not to doubt, as the old King James reads. I believe, Lord, help my, how's it go? Help my unbelief. Because we live in a pendulum between belief and unbelief. It's not unusual for you. It wasn't unusual for the Father. It's not unusual for me. But God wants to pull us out of that swing. He wants to give us raw faith. I believe, help thou my unbelief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers growing, and He says, I do not want a circus. Let's do this quick. Alright? He sees the crowd is growing. Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, spirit of deafness and muteness. He said, I command you, he say, of all the audacity in the world, how could Christ command these demons? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus right now is living by raw faith. Jesus knows that in a matter of weeks, he will be suspended between heaven and earth, his blood dripping at the rocks. At the bottom of that cross, and Jesus knows by faith that He will cry out, It is finished. And when He cries out, It is finished, the kingdom of darkness will forever be broken in your life if you give Jesus. You give this same Jesus the authority He demonstrates here. This is Jesus at raw faith. He hasn't even been to Calvary, but on the basis of His victory, raw faith believes. I command you. I command you. I'm not pussyfooting around. I'm commanding you. Some of you are saying, God can't do that with me. God can't take away that habit I have. I've had this addiction. Do you know how long I've had this addiction? It cannot be taken away. My friend, it can be taken away. Jude 24 and 25, Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling. It can be taken away on the authority of the blood that was shed on Calvary to destroy and shackle every evil spirit. You can be set free. Don't anybody go into this school year thinking, i got to drag this ball and chain. You do not have to drag this ball and chain. Raw faith. Believe. And you can be set free. I command you. I command you. Come out of that child and never. Oh, isn't that the word you want to hear? Never enter him again. Never. Do you understand me? And then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. And the boy lay there motionless and he appeared to be dead. And a murmur ran through the crowd. He's dead. Oh, brother, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. Hallelujah. Helped him to his feet and he stood up. Story's not over. Afterward. When Jesus was alone in the house with the men He is mentoring, all right, with His disciples, they asked Him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? To which Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Mark it down. No prayer, no power. No praying, no freeing. Raw faith begins with raw prayer. This kind can only be cast out through prayer. 
And so I want to speak to the students who are here. I want to speak to you, my friend, you. Why don't you? I mean, what would happen? Get two or three friends who believe. And in raw faith, begin to pray and ask God to take this hill called Andrews. And in taking this hill and this student body, to then take the world for a final generation. What if you and a few of your friends got together? I don't know. Maybe you want to make it Tuesday nights. Maybe it's Monday mornings. But once a week, hey, where you have your business. Once a week. With your colleagues. With your peers. Once a week. Raw faith. Do I only pray those days? No, of course. Raw faith all day. All week long. But what would happen if we combined and joined in raw faith praying? Say, ah, man, Dwight, I, I wouldn't know where to go in this book. I mean, where, where are the promises? I tell you what, you come Wednesday night. I'm gonna, we're we're going to do something very short here called how to, how, to, how to Pray with Raw Faith. Right after the house of prayer. Now I'm being just as brief as I can be because it's all in the bulletin in that insert. But I need to tell you, right after the house of prayer at 8 o'clock, starting this Wednesday night, I want to take 45 minutes down in the commons, our classroom there, and I want to share with you a book that has, over the last few months of this summer, has done something in my understanding of prayer and in my experience of prayer that it, it's not me. It, it, there's something in that book by S.D. Gordon. I want to give you all, I'm going to give you the entire book, one chapter every time you come. We'll put in touch of our raw faith praying the promises of Scripture that can unleash Unleash the power of Christ. You say, Dwight, what's the big deal? I mean, who cares? I'll tell you why. Six weeks from last night, a friend of mine, a little, giant African preacher, not from Zimbabwe, but from Tanzania, graduated with his doctorate here last year. My friend Harry Mahondo, six weeks from last night, is going to come and stand in this very spot. And do you know what he's going to do? He's going to preach with raw faith for the salvation of every lost person on or off this campus within driving distance. He's going to pray and preach for the salvation of all those who are shackled by that which will not let them go. It's going to be a revival series right on this campus. And Harry said, Dwight, I make you promise me. Will you please ask the people to pray in advance of my coming that the raw faith power of Jesus Christ might be unleashed on this campus this year. I promised Harry that we would be praying in advance of his presence here. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus came to his hometown and he, in utter incredulous surprise, walks away from that hometown simply because the people who were closest to Him, refused to believe. He could do no great work in their midst. He marveled at their unbelief. Oh, it cannot, it must not happen to this hometown. Please, please.
I want to make an altar call right now. And so I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we pray. Dear Father, Dear Father, poised as we are on the brink, on the threshold of this new year, how can we go to a story such as we have just gone to where the Calvary power of Jesus is unleashed and a life is set free? How can we go to that story and not ourselves Make a decision. Oh, Christ, You have lost none of Your power. That blood that dripped at the foot of Your cross is still effectual against all the forces of darkness. And so, dear Jesus, in this last moment, without a lot of music and without any fanfare, I would like you, please, we pray together, all of us, please, bring your gifts of salvation and freedom to those who today desperately need it. While your head is still bowed in prayer, there's no way we can hurry out of here without making this invitation. If there is a man here today, if there is a woman here today who longs to be set free by the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. I'd like to invite you to, while every other head is bowed, I'd like to invite you to slip out of that pew where you are seated and come here to the front and we'll have a raw faith prayer together. Would you do that? If there is somebody here who today knows that he stands in need of the Savior. She stands in need of the Savior. I'd like to invite you, whether you're in the back of the balcony or in the choir or here at the front, if you would like Jesus to set you free, would you slip out of that pew and come here to the front? Our heads are bowed. We're quietly praying. Because somebody beside me right now is perhaps struggling with a decision. That's why I need you to be praying right now. If there is anybody here who needs to be set free, released, And find new life in Christ as your Savior. I wish you'd come forward right now. You say, Dwight, is this about baptism? No, this is not about baptism. Because you may have already been baptized. This is about decision for life and freedom in Christ. I wish you'd come forward right now. Are there any others today? God bless you. Are there any others? This isn't coming to the preacher. This isn't coming to the church. This is coming to Jesus. Are there any 
others today. You need, ah, like that boy, you've been held and you long to be set free. My friend, there is one in the universe right now who sits on the throne of God who always lives to make intercession for us and He is able to save us to the uttermost who come to God through Him. There is the Lord Jesus today, the same Jesus, who with a command, I command you, get out of Him. I command you to leave her and never come back again. Is there one heart more that on this day of new beginnings, in raw faith, raw faith, I don't know how you're going to do it, Jesus. Because I know what's waiting for me when I get back. I don't know how you're going to do it, Master. But in raw faith, you don't have to calculate tomorrow. You just deal with today. In raw faith, is there a man here whose heart is struggling right now? My friend, if your heart is struggling right now, that's a very good sign. That's, that is the sign to give it to Jesus. You say, Dwight, I'm just going to do it in the quiet of my heart because you know, I, I, I don't like uh, anything in public. Well, it would have been nice if God could have died on Calvary all in His heart and avoided the public spectacle. But Jesus says, as I confessed you before my Father, please, you confess me. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anybody? You're watching on television right now. You don't have to do anything crazy. But you can in your heart right now say, Jesus, I'm making the same choice those men and women who are coming forward are making. I'm making the same choice, Jesus. I reach out to call you to deliver me. And by faith, my friend, it will be raw faith where you are right now. By raw faith, Christ will give you what you ask for. So it's yours. It's ours if we ask. Anyone else? This is opening moment. I'm not going to just drag this on and on, but the Spirit right now is heavy in this place. And for some people, this decision will be the most significant decision ever made. And that's why I'm not likely going to say, well, let's just go get some casserole quick. Let's pray. You're praying because nothing's happened in your heart? Good. Pray then. Pray. A moment longer. Is there anybody else? I'm not going to make you sign a pledge card today. I'm not even going to have you sign any card today. Because Jesus, the great... Liberator sees and He marks your decision. And He will walk out of this building with you and you will be a stronger man in Christ, a stronger woman in Christ than when you came today, I promise you. The strength is in the Master. Is there anyone else, anyone who needs this moment to find the freedom and the deliverance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone? God bless you. Now, my friends, I want to say, well, every head is still bowed because some are still coming. I want to say to those of you who have come forward, 
There's only, way, there's only one way for this raw faith to be grown, and it will be grown every morning on your knees. Did you hear Jesus at the end of the story? This kind only can come. This deliverance can only come through prayer. You must pray. You say, Dwight, what shall I pray? Simple. You start tomorrow morning with one of the four Gospels. It doesn't matter. Why don't you take Mark? It's nice and short. Read one story and take that story and say, Jesus, in this story, release to me your promise and your power. And I promise you, my friend, He will hear that prayer. And you will start sensing into your life the flow, the flow of divine power. You have not because you ask not. Every morning you must ask. You have not because you ask not. Every morning you must ask. And by the way, the rest of us, that is a good way for our raw faith to also be grown. It's time to ask as we have never asked before. My friend, tomorrow morning, oh yeah, yep, yep, yep. The devil has not forgotten your address or your name. But hallelujah, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And you just invited Jesus into your life. You just said, Jesus, your power is my deliverance. Come in, do whatever it takes. I want to be a part of that raw faith generation and I need to be set free now. That's what you do. Before we sing... I want to ask the rest of us who are standing with these in a solidarity and community, how many of us wish today to ask God to take us to a deeper dimension of raw faith living than we have ever lived before? Would you raise your hand if that is your desire, a deeper dimension of raw faith living in Christ than we have ever lived before? Holy Father, look, we are your children Right now, you caught us with a pendulum up. What we are asking, dear God, by Your grace and through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, enable us, train us, mentor us by the Messiah to keep the pendulum pointed in the direction of our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. We raise our hands. We come forward. And dear God, for these who have come forward, Praise be to Your name, Holy Father. Praise be to Your name. May the power that today begins to be unleashed in their lives be a raw faith power that emanates from only one source in the universe, and that is the throne of grace in the courts of glory. Let this man, let this woman go home today with the words of Christ. My daughter, my son, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and sin no more. Go with me and sin no more. Your faith. Oh God, it isn't our faith. It's so weak. It's the one in whom we put that faith. But that faith, let it save us today and today and today. May He find faith on earth in this community that stands before you now.